Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. All right, let's get this show on the road. <coughs> what? What are you three hens doing in the hen house? I'm, I'm about to record a podcast episode. What? You, you want to stay? You want to listen? Oh, we just want to talk about watches. That's of no interest to you. you you're interested? Wow. Well, okay, then I guess you can be part of the show. Just so you know, just stick in the corner of the hen house then. Don't make any stories. No, Snow, you are leaving your perch. This perch is for Alex. So you just move aside at the back and no noises, no cackling from you three is what I'm recording. Is that okay? Okay, good one. This should do it. And yes, there'll be Alex as a co-host and he has long hair, so no picking at the long hair. Okay, it's Alex's hair. It's not yours. There's nothing inside to eat. So just leave Alex alone and be polite and no noises. Oh, this should be pretty strange. Let's go. Music. Hi, hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Vintage Hen House. Um, just uh, first of all, thanks for the music to a good friend of mine, Nicola, which is uh, at uh, Picodon Conan on Instagram. Picodon, which is like the French cheese, Picodon, P-I-C-O-D-O-N underscore Conan, like the barbarian. He's a great guy, a great, a great metalhead, good friend. And uh, he, he was kind enough to do the music for me. So when you listen to that bass line, just think about Nicola with his Picodon cheese, his knife collection. Go check out his Instagram. It's a, it's a really fun guy. Special, um, special episode today because we have a, I, I have a co-host. Hi, Alex. From Hello. the watch regulator on Instagram. How are you doing? Have you found a, a nice perch? A nice perch <laughs> in the hen house. This is a privilege to come on. And I didn't know if my, even though I love vintage, I wasn't sure my vintage uh, knowledge was at a suitable level to be on. But I'm very grateful for you having me anyway. Thank you. Well, it's, it's not all about vintage, but our guest today has a kind of a peculiar collection. And since you're going to get a Russian one lug watch, I think you probably fit in here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know if I said so, but I'm Benoit Petit Seconds on Instagram. And today's guest is, is, uh, is Adam from uh, Mechanical underscore Time on Instagram. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks, Benoit. Thanks for uh, inviting me onto the show. It's my pleasure. Um, uh, I've I've followed your your account for a long time. I think since since the start of uh, of my Instagram journey, I guess. Um, and uh, you know, just have such a such a cool collection. I think while we do wrist and uh, and drink checks, if uh, people listening don't know uh, Adam's account, mechanical underscore time. Just go and scroll through the watches because it's it's not something you'll see very frequently on Instagram as a collection, and you may be lost if you don't just take a look at it before uh, we have other chats. So uh, we'll kick off with the drinks drinks checks first, Alex. That's the right way to do it, right? Whatever it's your show, you can do it any way you want. Yeah. You want to drink? Uh, what are what are you drinking? I am drinking an ice cold Wacker Changi. Just one drink. 
for me today or just two two drinks because i'm a bit hungover from the other night so yeah just a nice wacky changi are you hungover from partying for dropping the jean-claude beaver episode maybe <laughs> no if only <laughs> i was hungover from do- doing the watch fest thing on on friday night where i dr- mixed far oh, too many yeah. different types of drinks and i think i was arguing with someone who was doing a whiskey presentation but it was a lot of fun but i had a bit of a hangover and still do so Oh, was that a Zoom uh, hangout or yeah, yeah, real? Zoom, yeah, 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 like like you did the other day. That's kind of a pretty strange thing. I'm not used to that. So, but I guess an ice cold uh, wakachanga is the dufour simplicity of drinking. Right, I'm having a. Oh well, no, you you first, Adam. What are you drinking today? Well, being being based in South Australia, it's compulsory that I drink. South Australian wine on a Sunday afternoon. Um, so I'm having a um, Barossa 2018 Head Red Shiraz. Um, nice. One of my favourite labels. They're not, I don't think they're very well known internationally. They're probably not even that well known in Australia, really. But um, yeah, they've got got some cool cool wines, and this one's um, yeah, it goes down nicely on a Sunday. Nice. Yeah, I I don't know much about Australian wine. I I drank a lot of very good ones when I was there in in Sydney for holiday. But uh, are you kind of like a wine collector or wine wine addict too? No, no, not at all. I mean, I only started drinking red wine because, um, and this is a very un-Australian thing. I don't drink beer, um, so I had to drink something socially. Um, <laughs> And I, I chose, I started to look at red wine. Um, it's, I only drink red, red wine. I don't like white wine at all. Um, that's just me. But um, no, I'm, I only know probably 10, 10 labels that I actually like, and that's through pure chance. I just grab one and think think about it and uh, have a try. So I'm definitely no, definitely no wine connoisseur at all. No. Okay, well, that's good too. Um... Well, where you are, I guess it's uh, 4:30 p.m. Uh, where I am, it's 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Mm. So I'm 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 having a kind of a homemade cocktail with some apple juice, some um, some San Pellegrino, and just a, a touch of Don Papa rum, because it's a horrible rum. So it's it's probably best in a in in a sugary cocktail. <laughs> so just a more. <laughs> but still still alcohol even at 8 a.m. in the morning because uh, because it's it's good. I'm very proud of you, Benoit. I've almost got a tear in my eye. Very proud. <laughs> Let's hope you stay conscious throughout the uh, the podcast, Benoit. Yeah, yeah. No worries, no worries. <laughs> and on the wrist, on on the wrist, I'm uh, I'm still doing my one week, one watch thing, and you'll have to get used to it because I still have about 15 weeks to do it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where I go through all my collection and where each watch for one week to see if some uh, some don't pass the test. They'll probably be for for sale but this one is passing the test it's the last day with my Panerai Radio Mir 337 which is not a vintage watch but uh, well you know what the hell that's the rules and how about you Alex I am um, I should have put a different watch on I still have the Seiko Tuna thing that I can't remember the reference number for which I haven't really taken I'm just uh, even though I prefer vintage watches I'm just really enjoying wearing a watch that I don't have to worry about it being water resistant or like hitting it off doors it's just it's a nice relaxing thing to be able to wear this watch so i'm really enjoying it 
Yeah, sure. Is 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 that the solar one, or am I confusing yeah, it? No, no. Yeah, it's a, it's a solar one. I've actually been looking at even more of them as well, just in different colors and stuff. So I think I've, something's gone wrong in my in my brain. Um, I, just, I, <laughs> I love the case shape as well. It's just something a bit different. So, yeah. Okay, and what I'm really wondering is what is Adam wearing because he has so much choice. I just wonder what are you wearing, Adam? Yeah, today I'm wearing something. That is fairly obscure, um, surprisingly. Um, it, it's the brand is Igosta. Um, it's a German brand. Um, I think it's from the 1970s. It's it is up on my Instagram page a few times. It's a strange looking case. It's kind of like a 1970s ashtray um, that also looks like a big eye. Um, I know that sounds very weird, but if you if you find it. Uh, Egosta, E-G-O-S-T-A. If you look up Egosta on Instagram, it'll probably be there. It's a blue watch. It's got a blue pinstripe dial. Kind of um, kind of unique. I haven't seen another one anywhere ever, um, but it's really comfortable and it's got a very good grade uh, German automatic movement inside by, by a manufacturer who's not around anymore called uh, Furster. Um, and they... I, I looked I looked into this movement that it has. It was the, I think it was the last automatic movement they made, and it was their flagship movement. Um, it was considered to be the best German-made automatic movement on the market at the time. Um, so and it, wow. it it runs beautifully and and it's a yes keeps excellent time, very smooth sweeping seconds. Um, yeah, it's a watch I enjoy wearing, and certainly not one I'll that you know I'm likely to see on anyone else's wrist as well. What a description to say it looks like an ashtray as yeah. well. That's that really get, <laughs> really gets in your imagination, that kind of description. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've just found it. It's, yeah, it's got a blue striped dial. Yeah, that's right? the one. And, uh, and, and so it's an in-house uh, movement. Well, I think Agosta was just a – they weren't a manufacturer by themselves, but I, they may have been they may have been aligned to – Firster, uh, I'm not not entirely sure. Small, you know, fairly small um, industry around the. I think they're from Fortsheim in Germany. That's uh, that's one of the what I consider one of the true German hearts of watchmaking. Um, and uh, yeah, a, lot of, a few companies did use Firster uh, movements, really good movements. Yeah, well, it's <clears throat> it's it's uh, so so typical of your collection. You're wearing uh, this watch because it's uh, the kind of stuff that you just you never see anywhere. And just if you try to find it, it's just a crazy watch. It's kind of, it's it, it does look like an eye. It's got it's not even an oval shape. It's like a yeah a, yeah just an eye shape. And um, I guess you told me you would have all your watches spread out in front of you for the podcast. Is that right? <laughs> Uh, that may take some time. No, <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not that well organised. Uh, I have them sitting in front of me, but they're in their um, in their numerous boxes. Do you know about how many watches you have in the collection? Because it's hard to keep track of the rotation. It is hard to keep track, and the number I'll tell you will be much less than the number that I tell my wife, of course. Um, so that's something. <laughs> it's no. It it's probably it's somewhere between seventy and eighty. I haven't counted properly recently, but that's the that's the rough number. I think that's still in an acceptable range, in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'm the wrong person to ask, but I think that's you're under a hundred. You're a good bit under a hundred. You've still got room to grow, so 
Glenn, oh, that's, that's, that's what we like to hear, yeah. Um, I do have another watch box in order, Alex, so um, I should be doing something about that. That's the spirit. Uh, getting, getting those numbers up. <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me, when I started the hobby, I, I, I used to collect a lot of watches a bit in the same style as you, as, you know, like kind of unknown brands and uh, mm. funky cases or dials or hands. And I think I got up to about 50 or 60 watches at the, at the time. And I was, I was kind of flipping and, uh, and trying to buy some that uh, needed some restoration. But uh, I've, I've kind of very much thinned down now and brought a lot of variation in the collection. And uh, you have no idea how good it makes me feel to know that you have like 70 watches. <laughs> it makes me feel like I don't have that many. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, it's mostly uh, brands from the 50s to the 70s, right? And and mostly three-handers, that's your thing? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it's pro- Well, they probably range from the 40s to the 70s, but uh, I don't have any vintage chronographs. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're all three-handers, just time-only um, time only pieces. Is there a reason for that? It's just personal, uh, like, um, aesthetics or...? Um, oh, that I don't have vintage chrono. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I find them. They're, they're probably. You know, I'd, I'd have to forego say three of my type of watches to buy one vintage chrono due to the cost difference. Um, I mean, there are a lot of beautiful vintage chronos out there that really do appeal to me. Um, I, I, I'm a bit scared of vintage chronograph movements, though. That something's going to snap and go wrong, and then I won't. I won't get it fixed. And I've got a, a dead one sitting in the watch box. But um, no, I, I just like the simplicity of, of the three-hand time-only watches. Um, they just really appeal to me, you know. The, just the, the there's huge variation of, of designs that, that are out there, and that's what I enjoy most about collecting is uh, coming across these, you know, really nicely designed pieces that aren't from a very well-known brand. It's, um, yeah, it's good fun. So I guess also that the price issue is important to you because most of these watches, uh, they're not very expensive. And mm. uh, I remember having a lot of fun of sourcing them out and you can find great watches for even like under under 200 bucks. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. And uh, you, you don't have a watchmaker where you are who could fix chronographs or is that an, an issue where you are maybe? Um, you know, watchmakers in... In Adelaide, where I live, um, they have been difficult to find. I've tried a few, but I've, I've got a, a really good good guy now um, who I've become good friends with. Um, he's an excellent watchmaker, um, and he's uh, he, I, at any at any time he's got you know at least one of my watches in his workshop uh, waiting to be um, serviced or repaired or whatever. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I do have chronograph. I've got some non-vintage watches too, which occasionally pop up on my Instagram. Um, yeah, I saw that. I've got a, a few of those are chronographs, um, but they're they're new, so you know, I'm I'm fingers crossed nothing goes wrong with those. But um, yeah, the vintage chronographs, the vintage chronographs, yeah, beautiful. I'm, I'm I have thought many times about delving into into them, but. I think I'd never, I'd never get out of there again. It'd be uh, a nightmare for the bank balance. I think you're right, though, about the like the variety. There's 
always going to be more three hand three hander watches made than than chronographs. Mm. And your collection definitely speaks of someone who who's like yeah, varieties the spice of life. Mm. Wouldn't yeah, it sounds like something you'd uh, be behind. And yeah, you're just never going to get that same amount of variety because more people have always bought three hander watches than they did chronographs. So, and I think as well there is some sense there about not getting too into them especially with vintage stuff and especially the kind of stuff you would probably go for would be stuff that isn't the kind of commonplace chronograph mm. movement so you, you can be opening a can of worms there i think yeah very good point alex and the um the other thing is i'm sure you you both agree that you know the price of vintage watches just continues to go a bit silly um bonkers it's it's so hard. It's just getting harder and harder to find, you know, even even obscure pieces that I hunt down. They, they, more and more people know about them, um, and prices are, uh, you know, it's becoming more competitive in, in, in an online auction, for instance. Um, I've missed out on, I'm sure, like everyone, you know, missed out on heaps of watches that you go, oh, my God, wish I got that one. But, um, yeah, and vintage chronographs even more so, I think, like the competitiveness for people trying to get their hands on one. Is just making the prices go crazy, and even on on vintage chronographs that don't have famous brands or anything, just the movement is worth so much because yeah. you can put it in a hoyo or or in a branded uh, case and dial and have something which will go up in value by hundreds. Mm. So yeah, it's a very difficult market. You, I, I guess it's you mostly shop on eBay, or do you have other other sources of uh, of approvisionment? It's mostly eBay. Uh, I'm on eBay every day, um, but other sources too. You know, a lot of people have um, have reached out via Instagram, um, and I've, I've I've contacted people directly via Instagram as well. I've been on a few forums. I bought I've bought from a couple of uh, you know watch forums before. Um, other just sort of online sellers. Um, I think I bought one watch from Chrono Twenty Four once. Um, oh. But yeah, it's mostly eBay. I remember at the time uh, spending hours and hours on end on on eBay because when you source this kind of watches, is you have to put alarms on and varied alarms yeah. so you can really find stuff that wouldn't pop up otherwise, and uh, and it takes so much time. I think a lot of people don't uh, don't realize that to, to find these, you really have to spend a lot of time, watch a lot of. Uh, of products go past to know the prices to see how mm. they go, and uh, and uh, it's uh, it's a very very time consuming uh, uh, hobby, uh, which is a lot of fun. But I at one stage I was spending so much time uh, just following the market and uh, having strange. Uh, you need to put in some strange eBay searches, like in French or in German, to see things pop up that. And that probably aren't very much seen, and then then you can have a good price on them. Ah, yeah, that's right. I had not thought about that at all. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, I'm stealing that. Yeah, just uh, put a put just a French description like uh, montre ancienne, you know, which means vintage watch, and you'll have some people selling in 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 France vintage watches that uh, that won't pop up if you just put vintage watch on search in because it. it it, it mostly searches the titles of the objects 
Yeah. So Excellent. that's kind of a big hint. I'm. Uh, that's why putting... when I sent you that watch the other day, that French watch, when I sent you the lip one, yeah. you were like, "Oh, too expensive, too expensive." Yeah. You found another one that was like a quarter of the price. <laughs> and also, having generic searches is important, like just vintage watch. So you'll have hundreds and and hundreds of stuff every day, and you just have to look. There's some gems that are no branded and uh, well that's how i used to do i don't know how, how you do it adam Maybe yeah same strategies yeah same very similar strategies um i, I used to have things uh, in my you know saved searches like um, um nos for new old stock um, under the watches category um if you sometimes you know you get really lucky and you find like an a watch that's been put up on ebay that's been listed by someone who clearly isn't a watch person and they don't know what they're actually selling um, and you can I've done it I've done that a few times when I've come across a watch and I've gone oh they really don't know what they've got here and um, you can use that to your advantage if you get lucky and, and snap something up and um, you know catch a good one or or sometimes you know I've, I've, I've bought a watch to sell it straight away um, if, if it wasn't really you know if I wanted to make a small profit or if I just didn't if I wasn't really feeling the watch or or whether I thought that I could just easily unsell the watch to somebody else um, but most of the time it's um, you know my, my searches are based on brands that brand names brands of watches that I've come across over the many years of collecting um, and that that's how I mostly find them uh, rather than any other terms but Benoit speak while, while I've uh, while we're on this topic, there's one word that I do put in sometimes. It's a French word, and you have to uh, tell me how to pronounce it. Um, I'll, I'll give it a I'll give it a go. Is it plongi? 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 I I don't see. Uh... P L O N G. Oh, for diver. Ah, plongi. Yeah, yes. yeah. So for diver, yes, plongi. That's oh, the one right. French word that I know. <laughs> oh wow! Wow. <laughs> That was way off. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's funny because you can actually search the names of brands nobody knows. Whereas when I was doing it, I was searching generic terms to stumble on watches which I've never heard of. Yeah. You know. So I'm guessing you've been doing uh, this kind of collecting for a few years now. Yeah, probably, probably about 15 years, I think. Oh wow! Yes. Yeah, my very first watch was one that was uh, given to me by my grandmother. It was my late grandfather's watch, um, and it, it's it's a 1972 Omega Geneva automatic. Um, I think it's got the caliber 562 automatic in it, um, and that's what really started me off on the appreciation of not only watches but just you know quality items and small mechanical things. Um, and uh, Omega today. Um, it, they remain my favourite brand overall, um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful watch. It, it's simple, um, it's nothing too fancy, but it it every time I pick it up, it starts. You know, you just you just lift it out of the box and it runs straight away. It's um, beautiful, feels beautiful to wind. You know, good good feeling through the crown, um, and when it because it's it's a gold plated watch, not solid gold, unfortunately. But I think you know the way the gold. The way vintage gold watches catch the light, 
Um, you know, in slightly low yes. light, they seem they seem to be really warm, don't they? And that's what I really like about vintage watches is the the different colours you get in in the light depending on the angle and that sort of thing. Um, it's so well done. And there are so many uh, gold types uh, in vintage watches from mm. these eras because because they were all using different alloys depending on their relations or or who they worked with. So you get I had an an Omega Seamaster like yours which was pink gold plated and and a very very odd pink you know very beautiful and and it had probably patinaed over the time mm. and. Uh, the good thing about the Omega gold-plated watches, at least in the 50s and 60s, is that they were heavily plated, quite thick. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's like a... modern plating. It's a, it's a totally different... I mean, I don't even think you could call the modern stuff that, that brands do. It's not proper gold plating. It's something... It's like a gold PVD or, or something. But mm. the old gold, gold plating, which you see... It was designed that it could take a polish and stuff like that. There's enough of it there that it's, yeah, it was a quality gold plating compared to modern modern equivalents. And and your Omega is a real family piece because it was, uh, it's been in your family for a long time. And uh, I think on Instagram, when you show it, it's usually you have a special event or family mm. time. Or... That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I do like to wear it. It is in rotation along with the others, but I, I probably wear it less than the others. Um, and I'll, I'll wear it on Christmas Day or maybe on my my birthday, my grandfather's birthday or, or special occasions like that. It's a it's one of those watches that all, um, you know, I'll, I'll never sell. No matter what, I'll never sell it. Of course. But, um, and uh, how do you, because you started with this watch, which you could have gone any any way possible in your collecting. So how do you end up with all these kind of um, unheard of French, German mostly, and some 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 Soviet too, and and of course Swiss mm. uh, watches? What's the what's the way into this? Because you have a couple of modern pieces, which maybe you have uh, uh, since before you, you started collecting these um, these old ones, or all the other way around. I don't know. Yeah, I think well, I think that I got into vintage watches not straight away after the Omega because um, I wasn't I was too young to wear it for a while um, you know then I, I started I've always liked watches in general so I, I bought some you know, over the years some more modern modern ones and I just started to think well that's a fair bit of money to spend on a watch so you know what can I get that's well made mechanical and looks nice and is from Switzerland or France or Germany or wherever and that's when I started to, you know, research mechanical vintage watches, either manually wound or automatic. Um, and really, my my collecting philosophy is first and foremost on on design. Um, I look when I when I scroll through eBay endlessly or, or wherever else, if the design doesn't catch my eye, no matter what the brand is, then I, I won't I won't you know, show further interest in it. The, the, the design has to catch my eye first, then I'll look at it, then I'll look at the, the brand name, then I'll research the brand name, and if it's got a bit of an inter interesting history or whatever, um, even if it doesn't, if I like the design, then that then that's it. But, um, yeah, usually it's they, they do have an interesting history. Sometimes you, no matter how deep you dive into Google or whatever, 
there are some brands that I cannot find any information on at all. They're mystery brands. Um, and I do try to search in German and French language as well. I go that deep into it. But um, yeah, some of these brands, they were just must have been tiny private labels that, you know, they just put their name on a, on a dial, got somebody else to make the whole thing, which is very common back in those days and still is, um, and, and just put sold watches out there because, you know, there's oh, who knows how many actual, even just in Switzerland itself, not a big country geographically, but who knows how many watch brands have come and gone since, you know, the 1920s, 30s, 40s onwards. Yeah, and I remember I once uh, found a watch which was just uh, labeled GP, like Girard Pergo. Yes. And it was a beautiful gold plated with a sector dial, insane condition, very elegant watch. And I tried searching, searching, and I was asking my watchmakers. And it's probably easier for me here because uh, there's still a lot of history around on all these watches, which uh, isn't necessary on on internet and you know watchmakers here see a lot of these kind of watches so mm. they kind of get to know them and basically what my watchmaker explained me is what it was probably someone who started his company and who was doing door to door sales oh yes and he basically had a had a bunch of watches made like you no know, he made a 300 watches had made the cases uh, somewhere and uh, had them assembled elsewhere. And basically, he was selling his watches like a door-to-door, -door, you know, like a door-to-door -door salesman. Mm. And, you know, no real brand, nothing, or, or sometimes just on uh, catalogs. And you sometimes find find watches like that, like uh, a brand like, like Arvor, which maybe you have heard of, A-R-V-O-R, which I had a couple, which is basically uh, someone in France who was selling uh, watches mostly in the northwest of France, in Bretagne. And he made up this brand, and uh, his main selling point was uh, northwestern France. Um, and uh, so very peculiar watches, but well-made, all just assembled from different uh, case and hands and dial manufacturers. Mm. And uh, mm -hmm. just it's just unthinkable to think that at the time, in the 50s, in the 60s, there were all these different options to buy a watch. You know, they yeah. were not just 80s, but uh, so many uh, different kind of watches you could buy. So they were like the micro brands of their time going door to door. I mean, it's pretty much the same way where they're more direct to consumer now, the micro brands. And it's just the same thing, except there was no, like we've got the internet now to keep records of all these brands. So they'll never truly vanish, but those ones, yeah, just no records exist. I think it makes it, all the more kind of romantic and stuff to collect them. Yeah, and uh, basically, I guess they probably just put ads in newspapers, you yeah. know, like by. Uh, and there was also all this thing about communion watches. So there was a big market in communion watches at the time, where you know you got offered your first watch uh, for your for your Catholic communion, and uh, there were lots of brands which were on that segment. Uh, not even brands, just people selling watches, which were on that segment too. And it's mostly 300s and uh, maybe gold plated. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, uh, just coming back to your collection, uh, Adam, what's what's really interesting is that since you've been doing this for 15 years, you can actually search the names no one knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, is pretty, which is pretty unique. 
but so mostly it's uh, it's it's design driven then, and then you do a deep dive. Right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, and you know, I try to find. Uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong. If you see something in there in the collection, but I try to find a different looking watch every time. You know, even something really subtle that's different from anything else I've I've, I've bought before. Um, you know, whether it be the 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 colour of the dial, the way the hands are, the hour markers, um, the case shape, um, even the you know the dial, the dial finishing that that sort of thing. There's there's just never-ending diversity of design in the decades that have uh, come before us that I really really enjoy seeking out. Um, you know, from you know the the big three: Switzerland, France, and Germany. There's uh, there are different different levels of quality in in all three countries in, in watches, but you know overall some of the some of these vintage pieces I've got back in the day they would have been really good brands, uh, well you know really high quality, well executed brands, and many of them are in house. They've got in house movements, uh, they've made cases and dials and what have you in house as well, and they were they were they just weren't marketed or distributed as strongly as your Omegas and Rolexes and, and and all the all the other big names that we all know. But um, today, if you were to, you know, try to match the quality and the in-house capability of some of these obscure vintage watches, you'd, you'd be looking at, you know, a ten thousand dollar plus watch to to achieve a same outcome. I think, you know, that's what some of these micro bands micro micro brands actually attempt to do when it, when they get serious about it, but um, you know, I've got a, a, a Swiss brand called Buza, B-U-S-E-R, Buza Frères. Probably mispronouncing that as well. Um, but that's they were a quite a big brand. Um, and I think they made for other brands too. But you know, they had fully in-house movement, designed and manufactured, and it's a beautiful-looking movement. Um, and you know, to, to to achieve the a similar level of quality today would be very expensive so that that's that's why I, I consider some of these vintage watches to be real bargains because you've got the kind of the equivalent the aged equivalent of a much more expensive watch on your wrist that still runs beautifully and you know looks really nice i think i was saying this to someone recently actually in one one of the podcasts was when you look through the vintage stuff on on ebay and if you actually look at all the watches if you don't just look at the omegas and the longines like mm. if you look at the similar just similar ones from the same period you can some you can see like there's a difference in quality sometimes and then mm. you look at the omega and it's like a thousand dollars and then you look at something else and it might be the same quality or even slightly better or sometimes a lot better and it's like 250 dollars. and yeah. lots of people are just in the vintage game they just look for the the names that they recognize because they don't, they're not willing to take a chance on the brands that they've never heard of before. Which is why I think you've done so well. Because you're just like you can see the quality in these things. These are like really well designed pieces as well that you're getting. So I think that's why you found your kind of niche and have taken advantage of that. And also, what I would say is that uh, today in vintage watch collecting, everyone is looking for the very rare piece or you know the very special piece and uh, paying uh, awfully high prices for, for all the brands that we know of, you know, from Rolex to Patek Philippe or whatever. But 
if you want a really rare watch, something very special with in-house movements, you know, just scroll through Adam's uh, inventory. <laughs> we'll call it an inventory. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you can find so many awesome watches. I, I remember buying Helvetia watches, mm. kind of a not very well-known brand, which was a branch of, uh, of the Omega Group. Uh, it wasn't even the Omega Group at that time. But, and, and they made stupendous movements, mm. equivalent to Omega or Rolex. And, uh, and, and you can find them for very cheap. And they're already expensive compared to a lot of uh, even more obscure brands. But, you know, you, you get um, something very, very rare, so kind of unique and, uh, and very good quality for a very cheap price. And uh, I, I think it's all, uh, in, it's all to your honor uh, to have this kind of collection and to put forward all these small watches saying, hey, look, you can have fun with a low budget and have great watches on the wrist. Yeah, that's Even right. in Australia. Well, yeah, well, in Australia, it's, it's, it's expensive to collect watches because um, of, of the, the distance for shipping. Shipping costs out of Europe and the USA are, are pretty bad. I've, I've paid, I've bought a watch many watches many times where the shipping cost is the same or more than the watch itself. So you know you look at you got to look at it from that perspective. That um, and it takes forever. It can take up a, up to a month or more. Um, and I'm talking pre-COVID. It can take up, up to a month or more to get something out of uh, Germany or France or USA in the post. Um, and we all know the how stressful that is. <laughs> waiting and Tracking it, and then there's the, the, the tracking. The tracking seems to stop. Um, you have a mini heart attack when that happens, but um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it yeah, you don't have to you don't have to spend a lot of money to get high quality if if you can seek out and take your chance, like Alex said, on on brands that you know you, you might not know much about. Um, and nowadays, Instagram itself is a research tool. I have found many many brands that I haven't heard of, old brands that don't exist anymore on Instagram, just, you know, through people I follow and just randomly, random posts that might come up and you go, oh, I haven't heard of that brand before. Um, then you, you know, you look into it and you, you realise that it's, um, they used to be really good back in the day. Um, and it's another brand that comes onto the radar uh, as one to seek out. So Instagram is a really good research tool for vintage watches. I've never seen any other place that is as good uh, as Instagram for having lots and lots of excellent photos to look at and a you know, really good place to chat to people um, who are enthusiastic and knowledgeable in the field of vintage watches. It's fantastic. And that's exactly what we're doing here. Um, I, w I was wondering, uh, because on your profile picture, and for a long time now, it's the Sabina. Yeah. Which is uh, w one of my favorite watches from your collection because it's got uh, it's got everything. It's got a brilliant case shape. Uh, I'm guessing it's gold plated, but maybe it's even 18 karat gold. I don't know, and it doesn't matter really. But uh, you know that dial and and the hands. Uh, what's is there a story behind uh, this one? Is it a personal favorite of yours? It is. Yeah, I'm I'm holding it right now. I'm looking at this one. I wore it the other day. Um, it. I had been on the search for a Sabina watch, um, 
I've been looking for Sabina. I came across them a while back and I thought they make, they've got some nice designs. And I'm not 100% sure where I found this particular one, but and when I saw it, I thought, oh, my God, that is just fantastic. It's got so many beautiful design elements about it. Um, you know, the numerals, just the, the font of the numerals. Um, the case shape, it's, it's, it's actually kind of like a, it's a, it's a rose gold. Um, it's got the teardrop lugs, which aren't that aren't that obvious if with some of my photos from front on. I, I should show the watch from side on the teardrop lugs. They 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 go right down away from the case. They angled angled away from the case very sharply. Um, and it's yeah, it's got um, you know the the lance hands. Um, I I just like everything about it. It's a beautiful condition. It's, it's a real it's a real um, Relic from the past, that one. It's a real favourite of mine. It works very well too. Keeps good time. The numerals on that are really are incredibly beautiful. Like you don't see, you don't see something like that very, very often. So I can totally understand mm. why you snapped it up. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah, I guess it's a generic movement, and it maybe I don't think they were making a specific movements. No? Yeah, they didn't. I think I haven't. Haven't cracked open the back in a while, but I think it was um, Shield Adolf Shield. I think. Yeah. It, it was one of the yes. yeah one of the big main Swiss suppliers. I like on some of those vintage pieces. It's not Swiss on the dial. It's Swiss. Yes. S U I double S E, and sometimes you have also a Switzerland. Yeah. On the dial, and I just love finding those details where you know it's. It's just that little detail that makes a, a great design difference. Yeah, I've got a, I've got some that say Fab Swiss, Fabrication Swiss yeah. as well. And I guess that's probably, would, would that be for the French market, Benoit, if they say Swiss in, the, you know, the French spelling of the word Swiss? I have no idea. I, I don't think there were that many rules at the time. Maybe mm. starting from the late 60s to the 70s, the, the brands kind of... Uh, Kind of made all the all these signs generic, but uh, I I I mostly see the variations from the early 60s and the 50s pieces. Okay. Yeah. So I'm 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 guessing, but I have no idea uh, if I don't think there were specific rules uh, for the French market concerning Switzerland, but right. um, but uh, it's it's kind of uh, one of those many unanswered questions, and um. Honestly, um, I would be hard-picked to choose uh, which ones are my favorite from your collection because there's so much variety and and choice. And the Sabina uh, stands out, of course. There's also that Celsa with coffin markers. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah, it is, which is amazing because it's, it's got the simplest of designs, very classic, with mm. just those coffin markers. And I am guessing that they catch the light in a way which is really awesome. Yeah, they do. It, that's a really nicely designed watch. It's quite a contemporary design, really, when you think about it. Um, I, I'm guessing that was. It looks looks to be 1960s to me. Um, but yeah. if you if you research Celsa, they were they were you know quite a good Swiss brand, um, and that that watch in particular is very well made. It's got an excellent all stainless steel case. Um, the movement. Is not by Celsa, although I, I believe they did their own adjustments on the movements they put in, um, and they did stamp their logo on them as well. Uh, not, you know, not everyone can be bothered with that. 
putting their own logo on, on the movement. You see tons and tons of uh, vintage watches with nothing on the movement at all or, or only 17 jewels or, or something like that or just the word Swiss. Um, but Selza went a bit further than that. They were a good brand. Um, and they also had some pretty cool advertisements. I, I, I like, I, I'm also into vintage watch adverts. The ones that, oh, you right. know, yeah, the ones that people, um, some, you know, there are some people who saved them, they cut them out of newspapers or magazines and, and what have you. But there's some, I, I think the standards of watch advertising, it was much classier back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s than it is today. There was more elegance to it. Um, there were no celebrities, which is fantastic in my opinion. <laughs> um, I, 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 don't get me started on on that. Um, but yeah, they're just beautifully elegant adver adverts um, of of some of these Swiss brands or and French and German brands for that matter too. Um, beautiful adverts, very elegant designs, and that really capture the um, you know the feeling you get from putting on one of these watches. It's um, yeah, it's. Uh, some even you know just the design of the advert themselves, the way they're laid out, it's really done, really well done. Um, yeah. Compared to today, um, there are a few good adverts getting around, but I really do prefer the vintage adverts for watches. Different era. Well, that's what uh, I was going to ask you: is what's your take on uh, on today's watch world? You know, because you're kind of in your bubble with your old uh, vintage unique pieces. But uh, do you follow contemporary watchmaking or? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I do. Hodinkee or SGX or things like that. Uh, I I do not not so much Hodinkee. Um, that's probably that that may be the the, the topic of another podcast altogether. <laughs> but um, I yeah I I've no, very go on, go on go on. <laughs> Say it all. Say it all. Hey, Alex. Go yeah, on. you can say, say where, yeah, you're, be, feel yeah, right. Whatever you want. Yeah. You sure? You yeah. Sure? yeah. the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah go. go ben Clim is Ben Climber listening in? Is he, is he going to really some support? Who cares? Who, who the fuck cares? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I used to follow them quite closely because they, you know, years ago, they were, they were really pushing the whole vintage, you know, the revival of interest in vintage watches. And I, I thought, wow, you know, they've got some good articles. They're showing some good pieces. I like what they're doing. And then, you know, sooner or later, it just turned into a monetization exercise for them. Um, and some of their, you know, the, their, their limited edition um, um, items they got, they became involved in. I thought, oh, no, here we go again. Um, the Hodinkee shop, As as is the general consensus, the prices are laughable. You know, there's a re there was that recent example of that uh, eight day alarm clock, vintage alarm clock. I know that that's all that's all over. I don't need to say any more about that. It's it's been it's been done to death on uh, online. But um, I I I hold them responsible for making vintage watch collecting more expensive because they um you know they they opened up too many people's eyes, Benoit and Alex and I, it's uh. You know, it, it's made it uh, more expensive to seek out these pieces because they they were very good at hyping them, hyping up forgotten brands. Um, yeah. And, and all of a sudden, everyone knows about um, a certain brand. Um, and I thought, oh God, well, I used to be the only one who knew about. Or I thought I was only one of the only people who knew about this brand or this design or whatever. But 
And I, I oh, what brands are them. you thinking about? Because I'm newer to the hobby than you, so I don't, uh, I didn't follow Hodinkee 10 years ago. Mm. So uh, what brands are you thinking about when you're saying well, this? Well, it, it's, it's brands that I don't actually own because they rapidly became too expensive for me to own. And I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm not one who sort of buys what everyone else has got either. Um, you know, they, they, I used to love, and I, I still do love, and they're also one of my favourite ever watch brands. I think they're one of the, they've got some of the best designs of all time, Universal Geneva. Um, <laughs> ah, yes, of course. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Just superb. They're absolutely superb. When you think you've seen one of the nicest designs you've ever seen, along comes another vintage UG. Um, but, you know, they, if I remember correctly, they, they you know, they were hyping that, that brand. I thought, oh, no. Patek, they kept on comparing it to Patek, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. When I started collecting, when I when I try to think back now at what I could have bought at the time for the price, you just kick yourself thinking, you know, no one really, it was before these certain brands or certain models really blew up thanks to the internet, <laughs> which, you know, which you also use to your advantage, of course. But, um, you know, vintage watch collection can, it can have some sort of selfishness about it. You, once you discover a, an obscure brand, you kind of don't, you know, you're in two minds about, oh, do I, do I, do I put this one out there? Because um, it's, you know, others are going to see it now. And then if, if I want to get another one, it'll be harder to find. There'll be less of them around or they'll become more expensive. But um, I, I guess it's just, that's just collecting in general. You know, it's, it is, it is a bit of a competition you have with other people that you don't know and, and haven't ever met. But um, yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword because yes. you want to share the secrets or what you found. Yeah. But if you share it too much, you know, I'm I'm actually thinking about bleeping out what I said about the eBay search. That's what I was <laughs> going to say that you should do that, at least until I get a chance to go through and find all the stuff that I want to find. <laughs> then, then you can release it a second time. Uh, and and it's difficult because when you find gems and whatever it is, if it's the movement, if it's the brand, if it's you know, like a, a really good deal, you want to share it, but you you don't want to share it too much. Yeah. Like Kevin said in the first episode, I had Kevin Odell, and uh, when I asked him what his next watch was going to be, he said, well, I'm not going to say because people are going to start looking for it and I'll have a hard time finding one. So, and, that, and that's exactly it. So we're on the thin line here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I know. Well, you know, it's nice to have that insight because you know I've only been collecting for what maybe four years or or so. So and you know I at the start I was only really concentrating on my eBay searches on on watch fairs and stuff like that for old vintage watches and I didn't even follow Hodinkee or know about them. Or whatever it's 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 fun to have that background of uh, where they started from and what they've become and uh, but but so you still follow you know like uh, SIHH or Basel World or, or whatever it's going to be yeah I, I do um I, I, I'm from a distant eye maybe yeah and I mean oh, it, in in Australia that you know watches aren't as huge or as as big of a culture as they are in Europe for instance and it's, and in where I live, um, watch spotting in the wild is a very sad affair. Um, there is very very little to uh, to be seen, um, other than some of my personal friends. Um, but yeah, it, especially vintage watch watches. But I, I do I do follow 
um, you know, the, the watch fairs. I'm, I'm very interested in um, new brands, new releases from established brands. Um, it's very, very hard to keep up, though, with all the micro brands that are out there. Um, some of them do some good good things, though, um, and I've followed a lot of them over the years. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely still am in, very interested in the watch industry as a whole, how it's going, what's being released. Um, and I think there's been some cracking new releases in 2020 um, in particular. Um, I was just looking at a at – a, a, you know, again, they're fairly obscure. They've only got one model out at the moment, but the, the brand is called Tulloch, T-U-L-L-O-C-H. Um, Never heard of it. Yeah, oh, absolutely superb watch. Um, a beautiful design. They, they, they are on Instagram, so maybe have a look at, have a look at them, an independent brand. Tulloch Official. If you look up Tulloch yeah. Official... Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Awesome movement, incredible. Oh, you're very high in movement. Uh, oh, they wow. designed. Yeah, it's okay. incredible, incredible brand. I've never heard of them. That's amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, either, but so basically, maybe more into into modern independence then. I do, yes, I definitely do like the modern independence. Um, I've got, but I, I still follow the big names. I've got a bit of disdain for some of them, um, but <laughs> it's just you know never ending. <laughs> Never-ending so-called limited editions, of which my favourite brand is extremely guilty of, uh, Amiga, but I still love them. Um, other, other brands, um, you know, it's just never-ending releases and some good stuff too. Um, of course, I'm sure this has already been discussed, but, you know, Vintage Reissue is still yes. still extraordinarily popular. Uh, and I, I don't mind it. I think uh, Longines do it very well as, as a brand that comes up comes to mind straight away uh, they've had some real winners over the last couple of years of uh, you know delving into their back catalog and releasing some uh, re-releasing i should say some some of their vintage models that stay relatively true to what they were except if they if they try a bit of you know faux patina as we call it mm-hmm. i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not a fan of that and that's just my personal opinion but yeah it's it's difficult when you're collecting vintage and you get to handle or see up close these these pieces mm. when they come out with a reissue you just think yeah it's nice it's cool but uh, it just doesn't do it i i have a very hard time finding a reissue which i really like mm. i always hover back to the original model yeah somehow. it's so difficult you're so right yeah when you look at the original one and you look at the new one and you're like it's kind of I don't know in in my mind it's, it triggers something I'm like this isn't the real thing like this is a bit of a fake yeah. thing. Well, it's all, it's a mm. replica, isn't it? Really, yeah. Um, it, it's not an original that they're putting out there, and and ninety nine point nine percent of the time, uh, you know, they go bigger. Yep. Which is, yeah. um, you know, kind of anti vintage because vintage vintage the sizes of watches has grown. Over the years, um, I'm very, very anti-huge watch. <laughs> I don't like anything much bigger than like 42 is 42 mil is my maximum for a watch. Yeah. Um, but I've I've got some I've got watches ranging. I've got you know one starting at 32 mil, and I do have a 42 mil watch too. So side by side, they look quite ridiculous, but um, can wear them. You can get away with wearing them. 
It's exactly the same for me. And what I have trouble with these vintage uh, watch release, well, vintage re-editions, is that when Longines came out with a three-hander for the military or for the aviation or a gold dress watch, uh, it was because at the time when they when they put it out, it had a meaning, it had a usefulness. But there is no use in 2020 to come out with a vintage military with four patina dial. Mm. There's absolutely no use to it. So you, you've got no history, no reason to buy it. Just, you know, if you want to buy a watch today, you'll be better off buying a G-Shock or <laughs> or, or an independent watch because uh, that's uh, or a modern design which speaks. I, I often do the comparison because I used to have a Royal Oak, which was from 2004, so which is a... Uh, we could call a reissue from the original 70s watch. Mm. And I really liked that watch. And what in the end didn't do it for me was because it was a reissue. And I sold it and I bought an Octo Finissimo because that's a modern watch. That's a watch you want to wear today in in, in 2019, in 2020. Yeah, it's, it's something that couldn't be done at the time. It's something that has a meaning today. Whereas if you buy a reissue of a 1940s chronograph, no, we don't need aviation chronographs with, uh, with, with valve movements anymore. We just don't need them. There's no real sense in, in bringing this out uh, today. So you're kind of losing on part of the history of the piece, I find, in my personal opinion, with these reissues, and the latest example is the Aquastar, yeah, which is uh, uh, which everyone is talking about on social media, mm. and they're doing a very good reissue. I have no problem with it, but come on, just put them side by side, and uh, it it had a meaning at the time, and it was an important watch at the time. But today, it's just ridiculous. My issue with with reissues is it always seems like a bit of a cash grab. Like, especially now, it's just like the next thing for the marketing people to make money from and to kind of kind of just bleed it, bleed it dry. It's kind of the same. I think it was the same for a long time with the whole Swiss made thing. And now Swiss made doesn't really mean anything. And now they're tending to do the same thing with both vintage reissues and in-house movements. And soon in-house movement, I think, isn't going to mean anything either because everyone's going to be doing it. None of them are going to be really properly in-house. And it's just they seem to kind of latch on to things. And rather than letting them exist and letting them be a bit special and kind of dipping into it every now and again, they just kind of keep on going until basically the public's had enough of it. And then they just move on to the next thing and bleed that to death. And that's why I get that feel a bit with with not all vintage reissues, but a lot of them sadly yeah i get i get your point and i, I mean i tend to agree as well but i i also think there are some vintage reissues um that do hit the spot for reasons of the fact that you know the originals have become too hard to find or you can't find a good one in good condition or you're too scared to buy a vintage watch you think is going to break as soon as you you wear it but you love the design so you want to get a new version of that look that you like um, and not have, you know, really much worry about the reliability or the fragility of the watch. Um, yeah. and I, thought some... I have a perfect example for that, which is a collector on Instagram, which I uh, recommended uh, in the last episode, which is AV Emanuel Watches. And he is collecting mostly vintage um, 
a military chronographs. So you know all the all the dodan, all the all the brightlings, and uh, all the um, flybacks and stuff. And uh, he bought the reissue of the brightling uh, vintage chronograph. You know the black one, which came out a few months ago, uh, which is like the which is a lot like like the Brigade Type Twenty. And uh, he bought the reissue, and his caption on the post was, "Well." I just can't find a vintage one mm. for years, mm. so I bought the reissue, which is a really good reissue. So that's kind of a fun example because he's really into the vintage hard ground stuff, and he just couldn't find that Breitling, which is an uber rare watch. That's you know, right. Rarer yeah. than the And uh, so basically he just bought the reissue, and he's probably very happy with it. Yeah, I think they can serve a purpose. And, I mean, I was I was personally involved in the vintage reissue um, with – the EZA brand, EZA, they're out of – it's a, an old German brand. Oh, yeah. Um, and now I had I had a couple of EZA um, automatic new old stock skin divers. Um, wow. And I had the black dial and, and the blue dial version, and I've never, ever seen – never, ever seen them online any anywhere else ever since then, and I bought them a few years ago. And I noticed in, in 2016 um, – a guy who's now a, a friend of mine because we've, we've worked together on the vintage reissue, Adrian Tramp from Ezra Watches. He, him and a friend, uh, another Dutch guy, they, they relaunched the Ezra brand because um, they were, you know, they liked what Ezra had done in the past in terms of their designs and, and they were, you know, a relatively unknown small brand. And he, he found me on Instagram and he, and he, you know, he said, I really like, you know, I see you've got some of the, some Ezzas and you, I really liked them. And he actually bought because uh, I had two. I snapped up two from the one buyer, and I thought these are great. I like I like the blue and the black. He actually bought one of them off of me, um, and then I, I sent him a message after that, and I said, "Look, you know, if perhaps we can do something together and, and relaunch this one, Let, let's let's um, make a modern, exact copy of it, really, and, and, and redo it." And um, I, I forgot that I even sent him that message. If I, like, oh, it would have been a year or two, I think. Or it was some some time had passed, and he, he he sent me a message. He sent me a reply and said, "All right, let's do it. Can you help me out?" So I became involved in this project where we both had the original as a skin diver automatic watch that we possessed, um, the one I sold him and the one I, I retained myself, and. We about it took us uh, a good six months of uh, lots of WhatsApp messaging and um, Zoom calling and all that sort of thing to um, relaunch two versions of the original. One was exactly the same dimensions uh, as the original, it was 36 millimeter, which in today's you know new watch world is is tiny to most people. But he stayed faithful to the size of the original and. For commercial purposes, he also uh, released a slightly larger version um, of the same design, and that was a really fun project to be involved in because you know we we I helped him out with delving into the into the real history of as a brand a, a small a small brand that were based out of um, Pforzheim in Germany. Um, again, it had a really really good um, a German made um, automatic movement in it that was equal to just about anything at the time. Um, Know, quite a high tech movement for it back in the day, um, in the in the in the vintage version I'm talking about, and it was a really fun project to work on. You know, it's 
one person from South Australia, one person from the Netherlands working to relaunch an old defunct German watch that was um, a really good project to work on. And he, he's actually a watchmaker. He's a, he's a qualified watchmaker himself. So, you know, he took things very seriously. He, he did the adjust, he did the adjustments on the movement and the timing and all of that. So it was, yeah, that we launched that in January of this year. Um, it's called the ESO 1972 and because that's when the original model was made. Wow, I had no idea about this, honestly. Right. And it, it's it's really funny because Rob from the Fifth Risk Crew, which uh, sells independent watches, he's a big fan of Ezra watches. Am I right, Alex? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, I'm sure he's like the Australian <laughs> retailer or something, but he always speaks very highly of the guys that started up started up that brand. So it was a bit surreal when you started talking about them. Yeah, <laughs> same here. I just, so, whoa, I had no idea. Of course, I had seen that Ezra on your feed and I immediately uh, did the parallel with the with the micro brand because you can mm. say it's a micro brand. It is it is a micro brand, yeah. But it's it's a yeah, it's a relaunched brand that is also a micro brand. I've I've got I've got an Ezra Sealander, which is their the first model they actually came out with, which is not a vintage reissue at all. It was a um, one of their own designs. Um, but it was after that that we got talking about let's do the uh, the 1972, the the one that we both have, and and we did. So I helped him with the packaging design. You know the what what the um what the k uh the, the box and the and the and the packaging should look like. And we had I said to him, you know, let you should have you should have a swing tag on it because back in the day, um, vintage watch boxes were they had you know a, a swing tag and sometimes they had a little a little wax seal on them and and you know so I was going into vintage watch box design and to, to help him, you know, really do it correctly. Yeah, that's awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. I I had no idea. Quite a great project to be part of. That's, that's like a really watch enthusiast kind of dream, isn't it, to be part of something like that. And I guess that's where your passion for all the advertising and stuff you were talking about earlier as well mm-hmm. That probably came across, and you kind of knowing, okay, this is kind of how it should look, and this is how things were yeah. back then. So, excellent. yeah, I man, I got a lot of. He sent me. He was sending me, you know, um, the prototype images of of the case, the dial, uh, and then the proportions. We were we wanted to make sure we got all the proportions right, and as close to possible with within you know modern manufacturing tolerances as we could get to the original. So, um, I've got a lot of photos on my phone of. The, the prototyping um, process of, of making the watch, uh, which was interesting because I hadn't been involved in anything like that before. And with him being a watchmaker, he could, you know, he had insights and ideas that I didn't because I'm not a watchmaker. So, yeah, it was, it was really good to work with him. And, and that's a vintage reissue, which, of course, means something to you. So yeah. it, it, it kind of brings, wow, I, I had no idea. And it kind of brings some, to me, it kind of brings some legitimacy to bringing this out because you know it's it's passionate people it comes from a collector like you which uh, had the original watches and and still has one and they are very rare to find uh, so yeah and uh, I'm it's true that the parallel between all these forgotten brands and today's micro brands is very close it's they are very closely related and one of the examples is your Dubois watch 
Mm. You have a Dubois, a boho style, which, is, which I found beautiful. And when I saw it the first time, I, I kind of, uh, what's good with your account is that you give some details often of the um, of the brands, of what you find out about them. Mm. So uh, so the Dubois is from the Dodan family, and it speaks to me because it's where I live. So uh, it's, it's, it's kind of sentimental, and Dodan is a big thing here. Um, and uh, when I started looking, I discovered that there was actually a, a, a micro brand called Dubois, uh, which made uh, which made modern watches. Oh, do, are, do you mean Le Bois? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Le Bois, sorry, yeah. yeah. Not Dubois, but Le Bois. Yeah, they got relaunched. They got relaunched as well. That's that's correct. Yeah, and uh, it's it's fun to see that all these micro brands who are searching for a part of uh, legitimacy and mm. and the watchmaking history they go to these and then i i think you got featured in their feed uh, with your lebois i was and, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and uh, and then i just clicked and i saw well uh, the brand has it's kind of a it's kind of an investor group who launched it up kind of artificially i i find it's what i i discovered but it's it's fun to see how yesterday's forgotten brands kind of come back in in these different ways beat Eza or beat Lebois mm. or maybe m- many others that we don't know about well i think dubois also um they died yes. and they came back as well um in fact i i contacted them right right when they were in the process of relaunching i discovered them on this is years ago. I discovered them on Instagram where they had like a teaser where they just put their logo up or something. And I, I think I found them on the hashtag of Dubois and I, I thought, oh, I've, I've got a Dubois. Um, they claim to be the oldest Swiss watch factory um, in existence. So I had a I had a Dubois alarm watch, uh, you know, two crown alarm watch, uh, probably from the 60s, I think. And... Um, yeah, I, re- I reached out to them and had a had a good talk to them as well. I can't remember the guy's name. He's he's still fairly active. The, the, the Dubois brand is still active and still on Instagram. But uh, it was good good chatting to him as well. Um, he's very passionate about the brand. Uh, they got a pretty cool logo. I think it's like a a tree or something. It's like a fir tree of some sort. But I, I am into watch logos. I mean, and that is, I guess that's a key part of watch design is the logo on, on the dial or, or elsewhere. Um, and again, you know, you a lot of the time it's just a word, but, but there's some really cool logos out there that have existed over the years that make it interesting. You know, you can, I've bought watches just based on what the logo looks like because I liked it. Um, simple as that. Yeah, I've, I've just looked them up, Dubois et Fils, yes, in, in Basel. Mm. I didn't know they were, well, I didn't know that they actually existed. Yeah, they're still going. They're still releasing new models too. Uh, this is like a never-ending uh, mind digging, you know. Yeah. Just keep <laughs> digging <laughs> and just finding stuff and uh, finding uh, it. It never ends. The uh, yeah, no, crazy. So can I ask about one of your? Can I ask about one of your watches? And yes. I, just when you're talking about names and logos and stuff like that, I don't even know where to begin trying to say the name of this brand properly Mm -hmm. but the design on the it was the first watch that kind of jumped out to me on your on your profile so i'll i'll spell the the brand name to you because i don't want to i don't want to butcher it too much it's p-r-y-n-g-e-p-s how do you say that 
Well, Pringips. Pringips. Yeah, no. Pringips. Yeah, it's, I guess they're an, it's an Italian brand that had their watches made in Switzerland. There, uh, that's a really odd looking watch. That one. That's the one. That's kind of that bull head case without the horns. It's yeah, big, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a very strange watch. Um, yeah, that that's an Italian brand that had quite a few designs. Um, they're still going, but they're not the same. You know, you, quite often. Oh, wow, they're still going. Okay. Yeah, they're still going, but they're more fashion. They're fashion kind of watches. Um, a, a lot of brands. Sometimes you see people get hold of these old brand names. They buy the intellectual property yeah. or whatever, and they just make them mass market cheap fashion watches and it's really uh tragic i mean there's, um, there's a certain amount of fashion to this one as well though right i yeah. mean it's such it's such a polarizing design of of watch i, I urge everyone to go on to yeah mechanical underscore time and have have a look at this thing the case is when you start to talk about the other watch earlier on and you were saying it was like a what was a 60s ashtray or something i think there's definitely mm. like that same kind of design feel to this yeah and the hour yeah. markers on it are huge and they all look mm. about four feet tall it's yeah like they're the very crown, tall crown at six o'clock mm. but it's yeah it's such a cool it really kind of sums up your collection for me actually it's like it's yeah i don't think everyone would would be able to 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 pull this off or, or want to pull this off but it's just it's so of the time when this watch would have mm. come out in the seventies, this must people would have bought this and thought they were like the coolest person, like showing yeah. off to everyone because it's it's such a cool, cool design. It is. Yeah, it's it's pure nineteen seventies because it's got so many chunky elements to it and bright colors, which are two hallmarks of the seventies um, in terms of watch design. the The hour markers they're like they're like fried eggs on toast. They're they're strange they're, 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 they are really tall and, and again it, it's hard to portray that on a you know a flat screen where you you don't have the real thing in front of you but the, the case itself i think it, it appears to be you know that sandblasted or frosted finish yeah the case is quite bulbous um it's uh, higher at the bum than it is at the head at the top so that the whole case is angled back Again, you can't oh, okay. you can't yeah. really oh, right. you can't really see that very well in in the photo or or the video. Um, I tried to show it in the video a little bit. If you if you're looking at the the photo, I think you're looking at fairly yeah. recently. Um, if you if you click on the video, you'll see me do a bit of a wrist roll. But um, I'd have to show you from side on what this thing really looks like because it's a it's not symmetrical. Um, and it's not a huge difference in the kind of it's not a massive dip right no um, it's not no yeah, it's pretty subtle it's very it'd be, subtle it'd be maybe two millimeters um it's a bit of a bastard to wind it because the crown <laughs> is as hard up against the, the strap um so you've really got to get your let your fingernails grow a little bit so you can pop that crown out and and wind it um but yeah it the dial itself is it's got that um it's not really a gradient dial it's kind of, well it almost is but it's kind of that vintage um smoked dial where it, it it's darker on the on the outer circumference fume. yeah fume yeah yeah it's it's a fume dial um so it's got a lot going on as you said alex yeah but um and there's a crown on the dial 
There is a crown on the day. Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> the many. Uh, I was going to do a post just about how many watch brands have come and gone that have a crown on the dial, and Rolex was not the first to have a crown as their logo. Um, countless brown brands have had a crown as their logo, and then yeah, Princeps, if that's how you say it, is, is one of them. Um, another watch I've got with a crown as the logo is Midas or Midas. M I D A S. Yeah, the oh, so so many brands have used the crown. It must have been the done thing back in the day. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a funny looking watch. That one, it, it's not very comfortable either. I'll, I'll admit, <laughs> it's, it's it's weird. It's a weirdo watch. I think that sums up the whole like that period of time though, where it was like design and style over everything else that it's Correct. there's no yeah. you, you look at this and there was at no point did they take this to someone and they said no no like we can't do that like that's yeah. uh, we can't have <laughs> like the hour markers are too big or too tall no no you can't have like that difference in in height from from top to bottom like there was just somebody came up with a design and took it to someone and this person said yes we can do all of those things there's no holding back and for yeah. me, that's one of the reasons why I like that period of the time the most, and especially for Omega as well. I know there's a guy I work with, uh, Dono, and he loves that period as well because brands were just trying all kinds of stuff. And mainly, I think, I because the quartz crisis was there and they were like, we need to be, we need to really focus on design because mm. we maybe don't have the technology as much anymore. So you get all these really amazing, wonderful things, and that's so much of that is seen in your collection that's very true the 70s in particular was the real um time of experimentation in design they did go all out and i think you're right they were you know because the quartz crisis was putting pressure and, and ended up killing off hundreds of brands um they were just trying to get noticed still and hang in there by coming up with these outlandish looking big chunky colorful strange designs um, so that hopefully people would buy them and not not buy that, you know that that bland quartz watch that has just come out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're, you're totally right. And this this is a pretty good example of that. It, is it goes quite to the extreme end. But when you think of other things that were designed in the 70s, that there were a lot of rounded shapes, chunkiness in general, um, yeah. the introduction of bright colours. You know, one one may call it a bit ugly, but I call it interesting and, and, and full of character. <laughs> also, this watch has a good movement because it's 25 joules. So yeah, maybe that's kind of rare because often in the 70s, the movements weren't always uh, that good because they're competing against the quartz ones. Yeah, that's right. I think I think movement quality for mechanical watches in the 70s, it took a little bit of a dip. They weren't at their best. You know, I think 50s and 60s. Yeah, is, is where it's at for me with, with movements, um, non-chrono movements I'm talking. I mean, you've even got that, uh, I think it's a Tissot with the plastic uh, with the plastic gears. Yeah, it's it's a Lanco. Yeah, a Lanco, sorry. Yeah, it's a Lanco, which, is, which was owned by the Omega Tissot conglomerate at the time, but it's got the Tissot Astralon plastic movement, really interesting movement. I, I did like Lanco. I was looking for Lanco. But I was also hunting for a any watch brand with that movement in it because I thought that's it was a precursor to the to the to the, 
the swatch, the plastic swatch watch. Um, and it, uh, it's just such an interesting, innovative movement. You know, it's got no oils. It's mostly plastic. Um, it's dust, you know, sealed in a dustproof case. You can, it, it looks, it looks cheap, <laughs> but it does, uh, and it, it, it feels a bit, I don't know, if, if you haven't owned one, you, you've got to experience firsthand what it feels like to wind it. It's a bit, you kind of um, wincing as you wind the watch because you think something's going to snap. It's it's not that firm kind of a metal against metal wind. It feels like metal against plastic and something's going to give. But <laughs> it, it does tend to hang in there and it, it runs really well, that Lenko. Like it keeps excellent time. Um, fingers crossed no it will continue to do so. But they're an interesting movement. That when, I, when I bought the watch, the first post I put up of the Lenko was um, the watch itself. The second post, I think, which is the next day or whatever, was all about the movement that was inside it because it's a spe pretty special movement. Awesome stuff. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for for sharing all, all of this because it's really, it's really incredible watch collecting and so, so far from what we're exposed to in a daily basis that it's kind of very refreshing i don't know i i don't know what you think about it alex but uh... yeah no it's i guess this is the kind of special part of watch collecting for me where there's just all these people out there totally doing their own thing and there's kind of no external influence on what they're doing and what they're, what they're collecting it just it's what they're into and and you can at first when i was looking at your watches i guess there is that kind of design element that pulls them together but then when you said you don't go for the same watches like you try and go for something different each time and that's true as well it's kind of they're all very similar but then they're all totally different yeah. and that's yeah that's such an exciting thing for me because there are so many people that are just out there just getting the same shit that everyone else is getting like that's just mm -hmm. people want to be accepted and they want to have like they want to be able to say oh, i've got that as well but so it's great when you see people like you because then it gives other people more confidence to go, yeah, well, I'm just going to get what I like. And I think that's mm. a wonderful thing. It's the best thing, yes. Awesome. Well, that was an intense chat. <laughs> I learned a lot of things. <laughs> it's true. Maybe we'll start to uh, to wrap up, guys, if that's okay with you. Sure, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I've got Instagram recommendations. Uh, Alex, do you want to start? Um, my one is, I said I was, I promised myself I was going to be prepared for this. And then as, <laughs> as usual, as is my way, I wasn't. It's a guy who just did a review on the website um, yesterday, I think it was. And it's on a, he did a review on a Lanco watch that has a Boeing 707. I think it's a Boeing 707 on the dial and his name is finding fam but he has this whole kind of mystery of the watch and why it's got this airplane on it and 707 and he wants to know more oh, about yeah. it and it's great because my mom does all the editing or most of the editing on the, the reviews on the website because <laughs> she's retired so she's trying to help out but she got super into this mystery of why the the watch had a 707 plane on the dial so she sent me through all this information 
and she found out there was like a test flight of the plane and there was like 250,000 people that went to see the test flight of this plane and the pilot did a barrel roll of the plane this is like a commercial plane he did a barrel roll on the test flight (laughs) and there was 250,000 people there watching it in like Texas or something and the owner of the company or the chairman of the company was there kind of pulling his hair out but it got so much publicity and stuff at the time because yeah everyone was there and then it was like all people were talking about like this plane in a barrel roll and they wanted to fire the pilot and stuff but it just it really spoke to me of the kind of vintage watch thing and I guess what you guys are into as well all the research that you do at the end of it like you find the watch and that's just like the start and it can be Mm. sometimes you can have a watch for like a year and you're still finding out new stuff about it so it's a really good review um but yeah the guy is finding fam on instagram and the watch is fantastic yes it it actually has yeah it actually has paper airplane indices yeah yeah it looks like paper airplanes. it does yeah awesome that could fit in your collection adam (laughs) it could indeed i'll have have to follow uh finding fam Uh, yeah i can see that one now that is that's really cool isn't it and it's and it's a lanko yeah, I thought it was suitable for today's yeah, today's podcast. Perfect, and and it's got a very thin uh, coin edge bezel. Yeah, it's beautiful. When when they're that thin, it's just uh, you almost don't see it on the photos. It's very wow. classy, awesome. Yeah, super classy. That's a cool piece. Brilliant. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, uh, what are you going for, Adam? Your Instagram recommendation? Yeah, I, I like to recommend a guy out of Germany. Um, he's Instagram is Peter Fox five seven zero. I call him Peter Never Ending Collection Fox because he seems to have <laughs> like when you think you've seen it all, he puts up another one and another one and another one, and he's got <laughs> he's mostly focuses on the seventies. From what I can tell, he likes his chunky divers, but he's got a collection that's so in depth. It's it's it's. There's some big names in there, but there's a lot of very obscure names. But he loves every version of every model that ever that was released by a particular brand, and he loves he loves picking up the same design, clearly out of the same factory, but with a different logo on the dial as well. Mm. Uh, you, you'll see what I mean when you delve into his page. It's just endless, really colourful, chunky divers. He's got some so many cool pieces um, and great knowledge. Um, and yeah, he's got some incredible. Oh, amazing! There's a lot of lip watches in there too, Benoit. So you should like that. Yeah, cool. And Yema. Oricost, Oricost Spirotechnique. Uh, yeah, the Spirotechnique. That was one of the first ones I remember looking at and seeing the little diver on a dial, and then seeing some more. And then that's when I started to go in and like, oh, like the, there's companies, and then the, mm. there was the tag case and all this kind of stuff, and it was just. It was such an interesting thing to get into. So yeah, he's got a real, really nice collection. Didn't know that account. But it's awesome. There's an orange coral Nicolet watch chronograph mm. with blue subdials. Oh, crazy stuff. He's a serious collector. Wow. Yeah, he's got some amazing yeah. pieces. Some some really beautiful uh, Mulco watches. I've got a Mulco myself, and it's an excellent brand. Um, he he loves his you know bright yellow, bright orange divers, vintage divers. Um, oh, it's it's you can spend a lot of time on his page. 
Yeah. I'm just found he he has a Rolex OP from the 50s with the uh, shark teeth indexes, mm. which I had one too, and they are pretty hard to come by. And uh, wow, no, awesome. You could say he's the kind of same um, era of watches as you, but the kind of the tool side of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're more of a dress watch person, maybe, Adam. Yeah, I like your dress watches, and I do like skin divers. I'm not, I'm not as as much into the proper diving watches like Peter here is. He's got some real big, chunky, thick '70s um, divers and '60s divers. But um, yeah, it's yeah more more dress watches for me generally. That's an awesome recommendation. I'm loving it. Um, and to mine, I'm going to recommend someone. Maybe in the same vein, but from the other side of the Atlantic for me and the other side of the Pacific Ocean for you, which is Satellite 73. So oh, Satellite, yes. like a satellite, S-A-T-L-L-I-T-E 73. And he's a US-based, I think he's a teacher, school teacher. And uh, he has uh, a, a vintage collection, which is mostly based also on, on maybe quirky pieces. Uh, very old and lots of uh, American watches too mm. with Hamiltons with El- Elgin I'm hoping to have him on the show someday because he has a really interesting collection and uh, he can pull things off like he does uh, jump power Sundays weekends are for jump hours sorry mm. with uh, crazy jump power watches and uh, I'm always surprised by his feed and uh, seems like a really nice guy with a, with a lot of taste so Satellite 73. Yeah, I follow him already, but yeah, very, yeah, lovely, lovely watches in his collection. Yeah. Yeah, he's got some really interesting ones, interesting case shapes, uh, that that tonneau case and, and you know, other rectangular, rounded rectangular cases as well, a lot of Hamilton and Ben Ross and, and, yeah, those interesting American brands, or well, used to be American. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and those jump power watches, which have kind of a close, close front, you know, mm. uh, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, no jump hours on your side, Adam. I, d- I don't remember. No, not yet. I have, I have, I haven't yet delved into jump hour watches. I do like them. Um, I guess I, I haven't found the right one for me yet. Uh, but you've got that one with the uh, with the running seconds, which is a disc. Yeah, that's which I really like. Yeah, that that's um that's a I wore that the other day. That the brand is Hislong. It's a Swiss brand that was popular in Turkey, um, and it has got a wandering seconds, which is a, a no seconds hand of any sort. It's a it's a rotating disc that it's you know numbered one through to fifty nine, I think, maybe it's sixty. <laughs> I'm not sure, but um, it um, yeah that just slowly rotates, and it's a different way of displaying the seconds. That's a bit more subtle, but it looks it's really cool. I, I like wearing that one. Uh, uh, it's 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 just brilliant. Well, you know, thanks a lot for for everything. I think we'll just uh, we'll just wrap up now. And um, thanks a lot, Adam, for coming on. Thanks, R- a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Alex, thanks for for uh, thanks to the Podfather for co-hosting <laughs> with <God>. me. <laughs> the thanks for having me i love that thanks for having me it's great yeah. yeah and yeah everyone go check out mechanical underscore time you really yeah it's great education and and watches there and yeah thanks for thanks for coming on it's been really interesting
I'm going to go Thanks, down and spend the rest of the day on eBay looking up all those French terms. And <laughs> <laughs> get all the stuff before everyone else does. Yeah, that's right. Get it quick. And I really want to say it's one of the most refreshing accounts on Instagram because it's so out of the park and different. And it's always a pleasure to to see what's coming up. But it's always it's always unexpected and different. And uh, just you know, just keep going because it's uh, it's awesome and I love it. Thanks very much, Benoit. And okay, so to close this, uh, the, there's a ritual question. And uh, Adam, this is the last thing we're going to say. Uh, you can answer this question in whichever way you want. Mm-hmm. Adam, what is your next watch going to be? Uh, my next watch is going to be something that most people haven't heard of and that will probably need a strap chain straight away because I won't like the strap it came on. Oh, don't say anymore. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> that, that's that. perfect. Just <laughs> let it hang there. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, follow Fifth Wrist. Uh, leave a review, Adam. Leave a review on the website of one of your, you know, unknown wa- unknown watches. That would be so so cool, and I think it will please Alex and his mum. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so follow Fifis. Leave a review. Listen to the other shows with Roman, with Alex, with Rob, with everyone. Listen to Jean Claude Beaver show that has just dropped uh, today. If you haven't had a chance to, and uh, everyone, stay on time. Fifth Wrist is by the community for the community. We would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack. Email us at contact at fifthwrist.com and join the movement.